One, two, and three. Hi everyone, this is Joseph Anderson with Keeping Up With Joe, and today we're here and joined with Michaela Anderson, and we're going to be talking about some good travel ideas for going to Europe, and maybe even other places. So, Michaela, nice to have you here. Thank you, Joseph. So, Michaela, what what would you say... So, we recently went on a trip to Europe together. Um, what would you say were some of the most difficult things that you encountered while planning for, for the trip to Europe? I think the most difficult... Some of the most difficult things were just being gone for 12 days straight. Um, last time I went to Europe, well, the first, I've been twice. So the first time I went to Europe, I was a teenager and we planned activities to do, but we didn't take care of the overall planning. Like, you know, you need to get to the BART station at this time to get to the airport at this time. And, you know, and this is the stop, this is where we're staying. We didn't, we weren't involved in that. We were saying, oh, these are the things we want to do. Um, and we were on for a week. So that was, and then the last time I went, I, I studied abroad. So I was doing weekend jaunts all around Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And this time it was really difficult because we were only there for 12 days. And this was, this was our longest vacation together that, that we've ever been on. Um, and so it made it really difficult because there was just so much to do that we wanted to cram in. But you have to not think like that. But it was, I would get really caught up in planning to do everything. And then we would overload our, our itinerary. And then while we were there, we ended up having really to pick and choose. So you said you, you studied abroad, right? I did. So how long were you gone when you studied abroad? Three and a half months. For three and a half months. So how does planning, so you said that the length was kind of what threw you off. So maybe... What, what's the difference between going to, like, studying abroad for three months versus the time restraints of traveling for just a couple weeks? Well, when I studied abroad, I, I lived in Austria, so it was very centrally located, so I could go either to Western Europe or Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. and it was really easy to get to both ways. Right. So, um... So I ended up going to Eastern Europe a lot, which was a lot cheaper, and... Um, a whole different side of, of Europe that a lot of Americans don't see because they don't go, go all the way east um, mm-hmm. unless they specifically plan for it. So I think that it was easier because it, w- it was going with the flow, so to speak, when, tra- when planning my travels. Because it, it was just, oh, I want to go, like, oh, a group of friends are going to Hungary. Like, I'm going to jump on that train. Or, oh, well, our school sponsoring a trip to Poland, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the the Poland trip mm-hmm. um so I think that just that there were so many people it was very last minute and I'm not really a planner I like to just to kind of go and explore and, and feel things out so I think for me it was harder it was a lot easier to do that kind of style like that was just definitely more my person is more my personality mm-hmm. um just kind of yeah. just go with the flow, as you know, being my travel partner. <laughs> so it's kind of easier just to, when you're when you're there, it's easier to plan things 
spontaneous spontaneously versus when you travel for two weeks you have to actually plan out what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Yeah, and then also figuring out all those accommodations because it's not like after three days you just go back to your home base. It's three days and then are we going to stay in the same Airbnb longer? Are we going to go to a different city? Or are we, you know, trying to figure out all of those logistics and trying to do it in a timely fashion? Because for me, one of the things that I always recommend to people is you always need a place to stay. Um, I think that just comes from Mm. as a woman traveling because I know a lot of people would just show up and hope for the best and find a place. But for me, it's I always needed a place to stay. So as spontaneous as I am, that's like the one constant I needed to have is where am I sleeping tonight? Mm-hmm. And is it safe? You know, sometimes it was hit and miss based on what the Internet told us. But um, but that's always the one place that we needed. And so that was also a really big stressor for me planning. It's where are we staying and um, because things were getting filled up really quickly because it's we went over Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. which is their off season, but still a lot of people travel to England and France during those times, especially as Americans, since we have time off work. Yeah, I feel like that's probably something a lot of people can relate to with traveling when they're traveling abroad for school versus when they have to actually plan it themselves. Mm-hmm. Is that there's kind of a whole other entry bar because, like you said, nobody's handling the details for you anymore. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you're handling all the details and you're having to figure out where to stay mm-hmm. and you're having to figure out if it's safe or not or, or whatever. Yeah. Luckily most places in Western Europe are pretty safe. Yeah. I don't know about Eastern Europe. It's pretty safe. Pretty safe in Eastern yeah. Europe too. Yeah, it's very safe. It's just uh, being aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Um, it's kind of everywhere though. Yeah. You just don't want to be kind of like oblivious Mm-hmm. But whereas when you're traveling, when you're abroad, you probably can handle being a little more oblivious because you're like, you have that safety net of somebody yeah. else planning it for you. And mm-hmm. you have a group of people taking you around and stuff. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a lot easier when you're traveling abroad because of the numbers. So you have four people traveling with you. Mm-hmm. So even if you're oblivious, you have one, someone in the group's going to be a mama bear and make sure that nothing happens right you all can't be oblivious right someone's responsibility gene's gonna kick in <laughs> so where maybe we'll tell the audience where where you went on this trip to Europe because I've already written about it so people probably read, heard about it from my point of view but maybe where, where did you go on the trip and what were some of the favorite things you did so we actually went back to some of my favorite places which is England and France mm-hmm. for our first international trip together which helped me a lot. Second, second international trip. We went to Canada together. Oh my gosh. I was <laughs> Canada counts. I know. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I always forget because I just was visiting you, but this is the first time we both left our normal environment and hopped on a plane together instead of one of us traveling yeah. in the direction. Canada and Mexico don't really count when you're American because they're just right there. Yeah. So kind of, those are the two highest, most visited places by Americans. Yes, and you lived in BC, which some Canadians don't even consider Canada. So. <laughs> True. Um, so our second international trip, our first European adventure, though. Um, so we, we went to England and France, and uh, we went to London. And then we went up to Oxford. We explored some of those, um, like some of those towns, like Stratford upon Avon, since Joe's really big into Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And we went to uh, Oxford. And it's funny because that's actually how you pronounce it. I, I kind of never wanted to 
I was you always pronounce it Stratford upon Avon. I, I kind of just kept it to myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was Stratford upon Avon, mm-hmm. but actually that's how they pronounce it there, Stratford upon Avon. I know. I don't think I don't know the ah. I said about uh. I know. I constantly mispronounce common words. So <laughs> I, this is not surprising that he's kept it in all this time. <laughs> so you went to Oxford. We went to Oxford. Stratford upon Avon mm-hmm. and the Cotswolds. So it was a series of towns in this beautiful. It's an outstanding. Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty. Yeah, there we go. The Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty. And we actually discovered that together through watching a BBC series called Father Brown. Yeah. And um, so it just made us really want to go and explore it. And it was really exciting and fun because I had been to London and then my our day trip was to Stonehenge and Bath and Windsor Castle. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually never been up to Oxford and Stratford-on-Avon and the Cotswolds. So it was really, really a great opportunity to see a new part of England I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after, so we, we did all that within about a week. And then we took the train down. That was our Thanksgiving treat to ourselves. We took the train from, we got to London from Oxford. We overslept and missed our train. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up, we barely made it to St. Pancras, St. Pancras in time for, uh, the train to France. And we took the train to France and we spent a long weekend in France and came back, um, had another night in London. Um, so that was, it was a lot of fun. It was very busy. Um, it was not the relaxing, it's not, it was not a relaxing vacation where you just kind of sit and chill. Um, it was very much, we were busy. We wanted to see a lot of things. Explain how that works when you take the train from London to Paris, because I think a lot of people are like, well, I talk to you about that, get confused because there's like a channel of water between London and Paris, right? So how does yeah. that work? So that was, that was the surprising thing. Cause I thought we were going to be underwater for two hours, but mm. you're not. It, the train is, starts in London and it cuts through all the English countryside and then you're underwater for only 20 minutes. So it's like taking BART from Oakland into San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And that's how much time we're under the channel. So this trains the channel mm-hmm. if you go under the channel. But you're only underwater for 20 minutes. Channel, because channel tunnel, right? Yeah. Um, is that what it was actually called or that's what people call it? That's what people call it. Oh, okay. So it's Eurostar is the, the name. The train, yeah. The train, name of the train company. Yeah, and then it cuts through the, the it travels through at high speed um, and it, through the French countryside. Like French countryside actually looks a lot like the English countryside. It's, yes. not, it's not a whole lot of difference. Yeah, it's at least up there. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of makes me wonder why the like the Parisians aren't more like the Londoners, given they're like just a little bit away from each other. Yeah, but their countries have such different national, have just such unique national identities by themselves. Mm-hmm. Like France is very laid back. England is very proper, like prim and proper. France mm-hmm. is more like kind of go with the flow. Well, plus back in the olden times before they had the channel, it probably took a long time to get from one side of the channel to the other, don't you think? Probably, yeah, because you had to take the take a boat. Because it was like a big deal when like William the Conqueror came from mm-hmm. Normandy, mm-hmm. wherever that is. Where, where's Normandy? Normandy is, compared to Paris? is north, so it's about three to four hours by train. Is it? Yeah. So, because they, they, they went from Normandy to... I was there. I went there. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. Oh, Normandy's like a whole area. Yeah. Oh, it's right next to like Paris, Normandy actually. Like Normandy beaches. So, for them, it was a big deal that they yeah. went over to... I think they had their battle over by Canterbury, so they must have gone... Somehow they went up that way. Yeah, Canterbury, it's on the coast of England. Yeah, south side. South yeah. side of it. Or south, southeastern side. 
So that was a big deal that they went all the way from Normandy back then. So I guess that's kind of why, partly why the people have such different customs just between those two different cities. Mm-hmm. Although when we were in London, I felt like there was a ton of French people. Yeah. Like, and there was a lot of British people in, in, in Paris. Too. Yeah. Well, I think and now with, um, with, with technology like the, the channel, yeah. it's so much easier to get from England to the main, to the continental Europe. Mm. So I think it makes a lot of sense to go like visit and to each, to either city, either as, as a, a British person coming onto the continent, going to either Amsterdam or Paris or um, Parisian going to, or any French person going up to the British Isles. Kind of seemed like there was people on that train who were kind of commuting. Yeah. I kind of noticed that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of business between the two countries. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because for us going to, taking like a train from London to Paris and, and back and forth and whatever. Uh, is such like a, a dream idea, mm-hmm. but for them, they're just going about their, their regular business day you yeah. know? or like their regular day. It's not that big of a deal. Even like the, the people who check you in mm-hmm. to the train, you have to go through customs when you go on the train, uh, or whatever. Custom, I think everybody has to go through customs. Right? Yeah. It's regardless. passport control and customs. Yeah. But even those people, like they kind of, it was kind of like, okay, this is just a formality. Like, like they're, you know what I mean? It's yeah. almost like it wasn't that big of a deal. Because they search everything, right? Like they, yeah. they search your bags and. Yep. I don't yeah. think they search you though. They don't like a metal detector, do they? They do. Did they have metal detector? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, we were very. He was very sleep deprived during that portion of the trip. So okay, so that's how the that's how the Eurostar works. It goes to the channel. What what did you was the Eurostar kind of what you thought it would be and imagined it would be, or was it kind of what would it, how did it compare to what you thought it was going to be like? I thought it was really nice. Um, it's a lot nicer than a lot of other trains I've been on. So when I lived in Austria, I traveled by train everywhere. So it was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually traveled there in the coach class and coming back in the premier class, which is kind of like first, it's like business class. Mm-hmm. And the coming back was the best way to, to go because the seats were like, it was really comfortable. Um, and plus they fed you and made sure you had plenty to drink. And, um, so I was, now I make sure I tell people when they, if they ever take the, the Eurostar train to do upgrades, the premier, uh, premier seats, because right. it was so like, it was such a better experience. And not that much more expensive. No, it really wasn't. Especially traveling on a Sunday. Just I think so, in our case, it was cheaper to go premier for some reason. Yeah. There was less premier seats taken. Yeah. It was empty. So they were trying yeah. to sell those seats because yeah. everyone wanted to take coach because it's cheaper, but I can see why from their mentality, if you're not doing it as a once in a lifetime thing, that it doesn't really make sense to take the premier maybe yeah. like if you're doing it a lot or if you've done it a lot mm-hmm. or if you're trying, or if you're really trying to save money because you're dropping, if you're traveling, yeah. for example, like a month in Europe or something, yeah. but if you're doing it as like a once in a lifetime thing, it definitely seems to make sense to just get the, the premier class because then you get the service, mm-hmm. you get the better seats, you yeah. can like actually see out the window. Yeah. And then the other problem was um, when we traveled coach, like they ran out of a lot of food. So I was sitting on the, because we I woke up late because that's the story of my life. Um, we, we didn't have a chance to grab some food before we went on the train, which would have been smarter. So we were just we just assumed that there would be food available to us on the train to buy, but there was like nothing. Mm-hmm. It was only like snacks and we were starving. I think I had like a lemon bar. Yeah. Like it a, was, those are big in England or something yeah. like that. Or lemon, lemon tart or something. I think something, it was. Something. Yeah. Was I got, got you something, but I, it was just. No, I wouldn't bought that for myself. Lemon yeah. tart. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah. 
because I was just looking for any. I was looking for like a meal and they didn't have it. The food so. back was good. Europeans do, or at least British people, do like those prepackaged meals on mm-hmm. planes and on trains way better than we do. Yeah, like, their meals are ser- like seriously good. Yeah, they come in those little trays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really surprising. And then you had tea or coffee after, and it was just a very pleasant experience of not having to get up and go and pray and hope that you could find some food on the train. Yeah, they kept offering you as much tea as you wanted, as much coffee as you wanted. There was wine with dinner. There was wine. Yeah. It was super nice. It was nice. That was one of my favorite parts of the trip. Yeah. It was coming back on the on the Eurostar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when's the last time you went to uh, London? Last time I went to London was fall of 2011. Mm-hmm. So it had been about... We went in 2019... So it had been about eight years. And you really liked it? or? Mm-hmm. I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had to see a lot more because we were, when I went, it was 12 girls, uh, well, 10 girls, and then our all of our chaperones. And um, so it was kind of like there was 10 of us, so, you, so it took, took us all a while to get through everything. Mm-hmm. But with two people, it's so much easier to travel with right yeah you know plus it's not we're not teenagers we're adults so oh yeah um so it wasn't like where where is Michaela because she wandered off again it was just well I mean we did have a couple of those moments but we usually stuck by each other (laughs) it was just the two of us so but I but London has definitely changed in the last yeah in the last seven seven years how eight years um I think different like different exhibit, not exhibits, different. Oh my gosh. Attractions? Attractions. Or tourist, tourist sites? Yeah, tourist sites, attractions. Like they had developed. Like mm. there was more. Like we went to the tower. And the first time I went, it wasn't very busy. Like, I mean, it was busy. Like you saw the Crown Jewels um, and a couple other exhibits, but there was like three or four more exhibits. So I. I remembered it being very simple, mm. and we were only going to need, like, an hour, but we were there for almost three hours going through all of this very historic and interesting medieval parts um, of the tower, since that was London's original royal residency, so mm-hmm. it was really cool. And then I think just across the board, a lot of cities, since, you know, when I was living in Austria, city passes were just starting to be a thing Mm -hmm. and so we did the london city pass and so now that's like standard almost like and people and it's encouraged versus before like when we when we went when i went the first time it it was still cheaper to do the individual attractions Mm. versus doing the the pass and the other thing was we were only there for four days yeah and i was trying to cram like a seven day trip because i was trying to hit like do go to the spots i knew yeah um so that kind of made things a little hard, not hard, harder because it's like, well, this is the plan. Like, this is what I know. But then because we kind of had to get off that itinerary because it was impossible and I was uh, running Joe around the city, sleep very sleep deprived uh, with the jet lag. Um, we were able to explore things off the beaten path and just kind of go wander around and walk around London, which was a lot more fun. Because it's just about being there versus seeing everything. Mm, yeah. But I think the cool thing about the uh, <clears throat> the London City Pass is that it covers most of the main attractions. And then on top of that, I don't, I, mean, I can't really think of any of the attractions that weren't on there. But yeah. on top of that, you also get access to a lot of things. 
that I don't think you would normally do. Yeah. And that things you might not realize that would be fun for you. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, one thing that we did was we took the sightseeing bus. Yeah. And then we chose the, we chose the company that offered a special, like, two... You got two days of price of one, I think. Mm-hmm. Or you got, for your price of your scan, you got an extra day. Yeah. And so that ended up actually being a lot of fun because you could... And I don't think I normally ever would have bought the pass for that mm-hmm. if I hadn't known uh, or the pass for the bus if I hadn't known if I hadn't already done it because I mean you see people doing that stuff in like cities in America all the time and yeah. it was kind of a little silly <laughs> yeah but in, in a, when you're in a city that you're just there to see that city it makes a ton of sense to be able to take those buses around hop on hop off buses because they also take you to not only do they take you to the destinations they take you around and it, you get to see a lot more than you would going through the tube for example yeah so I just assumed I'd take the tube everywhere and we did take the tube most places but on the tube, it just gets a little annoying because you can't see everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a little faster and more efficient, but I think that was something cool. There's other things that you get to do. Like, the, we didn't do the river cruise, but I guess there's also a river cruise you can do mm-hmm. with the City Pass. Yeah. But that's not to be confused with the, the, the Paris City Pass, which yeah. is no good. Yes. The Paris City Pass is a marketing scheme. Yeah, <laughs> but the, it's the Paris Museum Pass that's the good one. The Paris Museum Pass, I don't, I don't think it comes with all the extra stuff the way that the, the London City Pass does, mm-hmm. but the, the Paris Museum Pass actually gets you... It's, like, really cheap. Yeah. It's only, like, 40 bucks, and then you get to go to almost every yeah. big uh, museum or mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. So that that's the way to go. I think they probably... I don't know how that happened, but they probably ripped off the London City Pass people. They're probably like, oh, hey, people are buying the London City Pass, so let's do a Paris City Pass. Yeah. You know? When, so they'll just buy that because they don't know about the... Because I don't think you can even buy the Paris City Pass when you're not there. I think you have to be there to buy it, pretty much. Yeah, you I'm can order sh- it. I'm not sure. We opted not to do any passes for Paris because we were only there for for four days. Um, and we got in there late-ish, like at three, three or four and it took us a while to get out of the train station. So we really didn't, like, start exploring the city till like, 6 o'clock at night. Right. Um, and then we left Sunday morning to mm-hmm. go back to London. So I think that that was... So we said, nope, we're not going to do that. And then Joe actually found out that you could go into the Louvre for free for anyone under 26 um, on Friday nights after 6 o'clock. So that was really really cool so we were able to get into the Louvre for free um we just showed them our passports and they yeah. kind of like oh, okay. yeah <laughs> that's how yeah. all French people are when they check when they check passports they're just going oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know so it worked out really well so we ended up and the only other place we went to other museum we went to was Versailles mm-hmm. um since last time I was in Paris I was only there for 24 hours and I saw a lot of things from the outside and I went into a couple of places but, like, I didn't get to go to Versailles and um, and just, like, kind of be part... It was, like, a lot of, like, sightseeing yeah. 24 hours with your backpacks on and just go, go, go. Well, Versailles is also out of the city. Yeah. Like, main, I don't know if it's it's out of the main city, Paris, historical Paris. Yeah, it's... it's Historic Paris. Yeah, it's, I think it's, like... I don't even think it's in Paris proper. Like, I think it's, like... It's a w- bit of a ways. It was a ways. You I had mean, to hop on the metro train and go all the way out there. Not, no, it's a commuter train, not the metro. Oh, yeah, sorry, commuter train. Yeah, yeah. that was, it was fun. above ground. Yeah, it was fun though. Yeah. Yeah, so that was really fun. I didn't think Versailles was all that. I mean, it was really big and grand, but I didn't fi- feel like it was all that inspiring. <laughs> yeah, but we, okay, we also went in the middle of winter. It was November. So all like the grounds were dead and 
They were. Yeah, that's true. The waterfalls were off. I just didn't really feel like, oh, I'm home, or like anything particularly strong at all being yeah. in Versailles. It was kind of more like, then again, I think I might have been reading out of my, my uh, guidebook a little too much. Yeah. But I just kind of felt like, I was like, okay, yeah, it's kind of like a really... It's just really, really big. Art, like architecture is really it's big. It's huge. It's not really like, and even the just, rooms are just kind of really big rooms. It's just very opulent. When I was yeah. there, I was just thinking, wow, this king was full of himself. Like that was the whole. That was what I was thinking of the whole time I was there. And then I think the other things that were important was like the Hall of Mirrors was such a big deal at the time. Yeah. Now we like mirrors are everywhere. Everyone has a couple of mirrors in their house. Yeah. But back then, like, mirrors were something that were for the very rich. And not only did he have one mirror on his wall, he had a whole wall of, of whole mirrors, hallway, really, whole right? hallway. Yeah. So it was really interesting to, to see that. And when people come in, it's like, it's seeing that, like, look how powerful the King of France is. Mm-hmm. So, so it was very, very interesting trying to, like... Like, going back and thinking about how it was at the time. Whenever you see anything historical, it's like, wow, like, looking back at this, like, this must have been kind of crazy. Like, to us, it's very, like, almost like, meh. But to them, it was, <laughs> well, like... it's pretty big is, in terms of the grandeur of it. Yeah, it's just very, very overwhelming. And it was, it was a really cool palace, though. I'm just looking up where... I'm kind of forgetting where Versailles is. Is it Versailles the name of the town? It might be. I think it is. I don't know. I'm looking at it right here. It looks like it's actually a town. Yeah. I'm just looking at where it is in proximity to Paris. Okay, yeah, so it's on the very outskirts Mm -hmm. of Paris, pretty much. I think it's in zone three of the metro. Yeah, so it's pretty far out there. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. We also got our photos done. Yeah, you should tell people about that, because that's something I think a lot of people thought was really cool that we did, that... People, I don't think, a, not, not, people don't necessarily know that this is such a thing. Yeah. Um, so what I decided to do, this was kind of my birthday gift to myself, was I wanted professional photos of us done. And I've actually wanted them since our wedding a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So how I originally found it is I would always see these pic, these people getting, like, have these beautiful professional photos done in front of the Eiffel Tower at the Trocadero, which is this garden area in France, in Paris. I always thought that that was something that, you know, like not, you know, not anyone could do because it was, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to find a photographer. Mm -hmm. Like all of those, like, I'm going to have to find a photographer. I don't speak French. Um, I I can't even fake to speak French. Joe, Joe, there's a ban on me speaking French because I was so bad at it. But, you probably get better at it with practice. Yeah, but I sound like I'm from the South when <laughs> I'm speaking French. So that that was not happening. <laughs> and um, I was like, well, it's going to cost a lot of money and whatnot. And then eventually, so then I just decided to just start looking. Instead of saying, instead of making all the excuses, I, I just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a Paris photographer. Right. And I was so surprised because all of the websites were in English. Like, they were in French. <laughs> um, the, you know who their target audience was. Yeah, they were all, all the all the websites were in English, so everyone spoke English with the photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I looked and I found one. Um, oh my gosh, what was her name? Sasha Linear was. Oh wow! I'm I, glad you're, I wouldn't have remembered that. Yeah, <laughs> just well, she was booked, from Ukraine. Yeah, she's Russia. She's from Russia. Oh, I thought she was from Ukraine. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Are you sure she was from Ukraine? I don't know. <laughs> I thought she was from Ukraine. So she um so she's a. She's a Paris-based photographer, and I saw her photos, and it, they looked beautiful, and I liked her philosophy of, if I can imagine the shot on the wall, like, it's a good photo, and she's very reasonable, 
She was super nice. She was great. She was nice. She was directing us. We should let her know that we're mentioning her in this podcast. I know. <laughs> and um, we could do a podcast with her. <laughs> we could. That'd be really cool. I bet she has some really cool stories. Yeah. Um, and uh, so she had like different sessions. So like you can do like like an all day session, have someone follow you around and go to all these. Parisian oh spots. my gosh, that sounds crazy. And um, so you could do that like all day. You could just do it at night. You could do like. I'd have to really like hours. a photographer to do that. I know. Like, I'd have to get along. I'd have to have like a beer with them first to see how I like that person. Yeah, which is hard when you're <laughs> in America and it's you're just really going off the style of the photographers. Yeah. Of this photographer, it's kind of like that's really your deciding factor. It's do you like these other people's photos enough for them for her, for her to shoot yours or mm-hmm. just shoot yours. So we ended up going with her, um, and there's a lot of, there's not like, there's a lot of English-speaking Paris-based photographers, because mm-hmm. this is actually a really great souvenir, and I think a lot more people are catching on. Like, people do their engagement sh- shots in, in Paris, or they do their proposal, like, people propose in front of the Eiffel Tower, yeah. or, um, and it's really interesting, like, how much of an industry this is. Because all the photographers knew each other. Like, you could tell when someone that, like, a visiting photographer came in because all of the normal photographers, all the regular photographers, when we got there at 9, like, there was, like, three or four different photographers with three or four different couples and uh, or families. And um, so they had a system, like, who shot where and when. And it's, like, there's four locations around this, the Trocadero. Because we were all doing, like, the hour photo shoot session instead of doing all day because we were we were only there for a couple days so we didn't have a lot of time but this was a priority for us to have our photos done so it was just so funny because it was just a very well-oiled machine that they because this is such a big industry over there that they all know each other and they know like okay know like they can go talk to each other and they kind of figure out a game plan and I think work it makes sense. Us. I think it makes sense. And like, I mean, everybody has camera phones and maybe they bring their own cameras. Mm-hmm. Everybody has like a smartphone that can take pictures yeah. and stuff. But I think it makes sense to get a professional when you're in Paris, just because there's just, you're just no way, unless if you're particularly gifted or something, but even then you have to like get somebody to take a picture of you. Yeah. There's just no way you're going to get that kind of a quality picture right. otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this way you just kind of off it for a relatively cheap price. Mm-hmm. It's not that expensive. No, she was like two, 290 euro. Yeah. I mean, and we were in prime location in Paris and our photos came out beautiful and right. we have the rights to them. And she took more than 30, like she took like 50 or 60 photos of us. Yeah. She's someone you can trust that she's mm-hmm. going to do a good job. And you didn't, we saw like we paid her in advance. We paid her when we got there. Right? Yeah. She just really, paid her after she took the picture. Yeah. Actually. So she could have. Then not sent us the pictures, I guess. Right. But, but, but she had already had the pictures. Exactly. Why I might as well send them. So. But I think that it kind of makes sense to do that rather than just take like a selfie or take like yeah. a picture of your own camera. We took a lot of selfies on our trip, which is that's the downfall of traveling with just two people <laughs> and not speaking the language because we just took a lot of selfies everywhere. So there's always a selfie photo of us. So it's really nice having photos of the two of us where one of our arms is not up in the air. Oh, yeah. Taking a selfie. People don't. I think people are starting to value photography, not across the board, but in certain key moments like that. Yeah. Like you just don't. You're not going to be by the Eiffel Tower very much in your, in your life. No. Unless, so for key moments like that, it makes sense to have a photographer. Yeah. Maybe if not like. Uh, every moment of your life because you have camera phone and things like that mm-hmm. but in moments like that it makes sense to have somebody who's really good at it and who's then going to edit the pictures afterwards and yeah, stuff yeah and they were beautiful I yeah. mean 
you see those photos of Paris and you have a very different idea of what Paris looks like. Like Paris is like supposed to, based on these photos, like Paris is so clean and beautiful and it is not. Paris is very dirty. There's a lot of trash everywhere, but they edit all those out. I didn't out. notice that. That's funny. I thought oh, Paris yeah. was nice. It, it, no, it's nice. I'm not saying it's not nice. I'm just <laughs> saying that. Um, like compared to other European cities, it's a lot dirtier. Which I like because it's a little more free than other European cities. Yeah. <laughs> it's like more free feeling. Is this is this hers? Timeless Paris? No, it's not hers. It's not hers. That's what came up when I googled. Oh. Sasha Lanier. Cool. About. Maybe we should do this later. Oh, that's not her. Wait. No. That is her. She, oh, she does look different because she had a beanie and her warm stuff on. Yeah. That's gotta be her. Yeah. Okay. So she speaks English and French fluently. Mm-hmm. So you can, this girl's really good, and we worked with her, and I think this is her, and I think it's called TimelessParis.net, so if you want somebody, if you're going to Paris and you want someone who's going to do a good job with your with your pictures, I think this is her. Yeah. Sasha. It's got to be her. Yeah. Cool. So she was very, she's very good. Um. So some other cool places I, th- I found in, one, oh, actually, first, before we get into that, tell them about how... Well, I think we should preface that with actually, because we had one bad experience when we first came into Paris. Mm-hmm. So we came in from the from the Eurostar, mm-hmm. and then I think we hopped on a. See, I had, I had fallen in love with the hop on hop off bus thing, yes, so I actually did. I actually bought a I bought a hop on hop off bus pass in uh, in Paris. Yeah, and so we got right off the train, and I just took us right over to where the bus mm-hmm. was, and actually. So I think we got to talk about, about French people, about how they're a lot friendlier than Americans yes. make them sound. Some French guy, well actually, this one French policeman, really big guy, a really tall guy, mm-hmm. told me where the buses were. That was nice, mm-hmm. first of all. And then they obviously could tell we were visitors. Yes. And then we went across the street and some guy was trying to like get us to go to his restaurant or whatever. But then when we said we didn't weren't hungry, he told us where the buses were, which was yeah. super nice. He had no yeah. reason to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Yeah. And no. then we got on the bus and the guy didn't speak English really. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't really any help. But we just hopped on and then we figured out how the bus works there and took it around and saw everything. Yeah, we right did. Away. I mean, it's just a way to do it. Yeah. You don't want to get into the city and hop on the train. You get yeah. there. Hop on a bus, you hop, you know, yeah. and buses are, those buses are safe, they're, mm-hmm. people know about them, you don't need to worry yeah. about what's going to happen to you on them. Yeah. And then you took that, we took that around, and then we were so tired, we got into our neighborhood that we were staying in, which was right near the Eiffel Tower, and then we ate out there at this nice little restaurant, but the problem was, is that at the end, the... They had us tip, which is not, that is a big no-no when you are traveling, like, as Americans, it makes sense to us, because that's part of our culture. Right. But in France, it, the gratuity is part of the service. Like, it's included in the final bill. You don't have to add anything else, which I think is super nice. Because then I don't have to, like, try and figure out what's appropriate what's not. It's just, okay, there's, like, there's the gratuity part of the bill. Like, I'm set. Um, but it wasn't in it. And I thought it was weird. And then, and Joe thought it was weird, too. And then we, we looked it up, and it's actually, it's the French law to have the gratuity as part of the they bill. They should make it French law to not ask Americans for tips. <laughs> yeah. So this, it was, yeah, it was like, it had a great view of the Eiffel Tower, but it was that not. Was, yeah. You have to be really careful when you're in, I don't know, yeah. I've been to a lot of foreign countries yet. This is probably true anywhere you go. Yeah. Okay. So when you're traveling in France in particular, Paris is one of the top locations mm-hmm. for, uh, for Americans to travel to. So they actually, tar- it's so sad. It's like they're fishing. Yeah. They literally put these big pictures of like hamburgers and, and hot dogs trying I to lure know. Americans in. And these big red lights and these big signs yeah. in English. So if you go to if you go to Paris, don't go 
to the restaurants that are pr- at least proud. I mean, it helps to look up the restaurants ahead of time. Go, just use Rick Steves' guidebook. Or do whatever you want. <laughs> we don't need guess. to sell Rick Steves. Whatever. That was the only, <laughs> that was actually. We found we some places found, on our own. We found places on our own. But we did it because we found the places with like the handwritten. Yeah. Fr- in French menus yeah. so they're obviously not trying to target Americans yeah. so you just walk in you ask them if you can't just learn some little basic French and ask them in French if they speak English Yeah. and then they'll serve you as long as one of you speaks a little bit of basic French and then the other one just needs to be quiet because then everyone will look you speak. It. you speak as much French as I do you just pronounce it weirdly we do <laughs> We'll not get into that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that's the one thing. So, we got there. I kind of got a little annoyed, but it was kind of... We, it was a minor a minor learning yeah. lesson. And we had been traveling all day to get... And then we just... We were starving because, you know, we didn't... And the food was not good either. Yeah. It kind of made my stomach sick. Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> really bad. I know. And, it, like, French cuisine... But there were French amazing. people there eating there. I know. So, I don't know what the deal was. I think it was probably like, oh, it's an American restaurant. I don't Let's know. go there. There's a lot of local French people there. I know. So I don't know what the deal with that maybe was. The, maybe the booze was really good. We didn't, I don't know. We, we didn't even drink with that meal. But. And so then, basically, we, we had that experience, so we were a little nervous about, because you wanted to get your hair done for the pictures the next yeah. day. So we were a little nervous about, I was kind of like starting to look up places that spoke English and stuff, which yeah. is kind of the wrong approach. I yeah. think I was just a little bit miffed about that. Yeah. But what we did, actually, is we just found... You wanted to get your hair done, so we found a place that did that... What is it called? A blowout? Yeah. yeah. I found a place that did blowouts... Not too far away, right? Yeah. And so, how did that? How did that? How, how did that go, go for you? I started speaking French, and I had my guidebook. Like I looked like a total tourist. <laughs> it was it was pretty bad actually. And so I walked in, and I and I should have probably like called ahead, but I was too nervous. So I was like, I'm just gonna walk in because looking ba- looking back, I'm like, if I had called, actually, it would have been a lot easier. But anyways, um, so I, I walked in, and I was I was in my guidebook trying to like pronounce everything and like trying to figure out what to say and like I wanted them just to it was like it's called a coiffure so (laughs) something like that and then the one of the girls there she spoke English because she lived in Canada for a couple of years and so she spoke like perfect English and she's like oh yes like I'll take you like come back in 45 minutes Mm. and so then they did my hair and it was amazing like that was I'm like, I've actually never gotten a blowout before, so getting one in Paris is the way to go. Yeah, she was very, very, she definitely was like, very much valued her service, saw herself as a very, providing a really, a really good service, and then also took a lot of pride in getting your hair done, right? Yeah, no, she, she was like, yeah, my hair is just very thick, and it's very (laughs) hard for people to deal with. So, um, so she did it. It takes, it just takes a long time to like, wash and dry my hair. Yeah. It's so, it's so long and thick that um but she she did it she like she stuck it out all the way to the end she like there's like yeah she just was a really she did a really great job and it was a lot of fun um it's a fun experience for me and she talked about and then we ended up because she spoke english so we were able to talk and she talked about her time in canada we talked about our travels and just kind of getting the feel of the city from a local Mm -hmm. so that was really nice for Mm -hmm. us and so then how did you feel about, so one thing that, one thing we discovered while we were in Paris, which is a relatively known place, is the Shakespeare and Company bookstore. Yes. So how did you feel about, how did you feel about that? Maybe you could, what, what's, what's so cool about the Shakespeare and Company bookstore? Well, 
you really liked it. So I think that was really cool. We got to go see like a literary hub that you loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I mentioned it. I, I don't know if I mentioned the Shakespearean company in my article that I wrote. I don't think you did, which is funny because it was like we were going to Mecca or something. I just think there was so much I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't, I couldn't write about everything. Yeah. But yeah, Shakespeare, this is really cool for Americans there mm-hmm. because it's a, it's an English bookstore, right? Yeah. It's an English bookstore in the, in the heart of Paris. Like it's right across the, the river from Notre Dame. And, um, and these English speakers established this bookstore in the 19, early 19, like 1910s. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. And then all of these English, um, these American expats would come and write, like they'd come and stay and write in... In Paris, because Paris Paris. used to be cheap back then. Yeah. Compared compared to other places. Yeah. I don't know why, but... I know. So, so it's kind of like now, like maybe like moving to Dallas now for us Californians. Yeah. So that's kind of like what going to Paris was back then. Yeah. So they. Not anymore. <laughs> no. That's an experience. Anyways. Um, so it was really cool seeing like where like Ernest, like Ernest Hemingway was there. This, the Fitzgeralds were there. Um, like all of these people, like they knew each other through this bookstore and like they published their books and sold their books in France. So it was really cool just to see that very unique part of history um, where the lost generation yeah. hung out and yeah. they knew each other and that's like that was their connection in Paris. I think it was the first first bookstore to publish James Joyce's Ulysses. Yeah. Which is was, now considered like the, the number one yeah. novel in modern times basically yeah. or the nineteenth century. Yeah, they pushed the boundaries with liter- with literature. Yeah. That was the place to do it. It's always been Paris has always been a very creative, artsy place. Yeah. So I think it still has a lot of that vibe today actually. Mm-hmm. They've not it's not only been taken over by like tech or something like the way or maybe it had, I mean, I'm sure there's like tech scene, yeah because right? in Paris so in London what they do is they interweave like it's the city like the old city and then interwoven with modern yeah like they'll be in the Tower of London which is a big castle and then you see, and all, you these, see all these businesses right around and there. these skyscrapers and yeah. right next to it and that's what I mean too by like how London's changed it's just like the, the aesthetic has changed mm. like it's really boomed in industry and new buildings and stuff yeah but in Paris, what they did is that they kept they kept um, all the historical part of Paris, like, together. Mm-hmm. There is no new modern buildings. Like, if you're there, it's you follow the aesthetic um, of, the, of the architecture. Like, you don't put a modern twist on anything. And then outside of the city center, they have a business center, and that's where everyone works and stuff. And that's where all the modern buildings are. Right. So that's very different about those two cities, too. And I'm sure, like, I, don't, I actually don't know what they're... Their um, their big industries are in Paris. I don't know either. I know. Maybe we should have researched that before we went. I know. In, I know in London it's finance. Yeah. So I don't really know what the big stuff is in Paris. It's probably it's probably a lot of a lot going on. I mean, yeah. it's like the main city in France, and sure France is a pretty big economy. So sure there's wine. <laughs> and <Yeah>. Cheese. <laughs> so yeah. So I think that I guess maybe that's it for for this podcast. I think so. I think that kind of covers everything. You now know what to expect when going to London and Paris. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things to see there. We give you some uh, tips, like getting the getting the London City Pass might be a good option to save some money. Mm-hmm. Getting the Paris City Pass, not the Paris City Pass, Museum. the Paris Museum Pass. Don't get the Paris City Pass, get the Paris Museum Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing about Paris, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, and on that note is that Despite what people think, Paris is actually pretty friendly, especially if you make most of you young people there now, young Parisians speak 
speak English and are happy to speak English. Mm-hmm. And they do appreciate it when you say just little things like merci and bonjour. Yeah. They're huge on saying bonjour there. Mm-hmm. Everybody, it's not, not the way, case in London, people don't really say hi to each other, but in Paris, yeah. everybody expects you to say hi when you come into their store mm-hmm. and au revoir when you leave their store. Yeah. So they're just really big on etiquette, mm-hmm. which is kind of different from yeah. us Americans where we don't really have, we, are, we have a different kind of etiquette, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. It's very, it's very fun. It's always a good idea to go travel internationally. Yeah. It's fun when you go with your spouse. <laughs> so. Or I groups have, of friends, too. Groups of friends. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was always, I had, yeah, well, I've always had fun every time I've been to Europe. So I always tell people, go. When as soon If you can, just go. <laughs> Paris is always a good idea. Oh, yeah. On that note, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you next time.